0: That's actually not the teaching. <laughs> the, the Buddha so firmly put this practice in the classroom of our lives and in the midst of all things and in our willingness, as we spoke about last night, to turn towards, to turn towards all experience, all events, with an attitude of willingness, of befriending, of kindness. So look at how, I really encourage you today to look at how that sense of dissonance arises and where it arises. We sit and we walk and we meet the simple realities of our body, our minds, our hearts, just as they are in this moment. And they're not always the body and the mind and the heart that we would like To be meeting, or that we think we should be meeting. We've heard about how relaxing and calming meditation is. And we sit and we meet agitation, we meet restlessness, we meet the thousand thoughts. I don't know who ever counted them, but it's estimated that the average human being has 67,000 thoughts a day. And in this regard, we can think actually we're doing really well. We're quite above average.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we may have heard about all the stories of meditation, you know, about the kind of experiences we should be having Um, it is easy to feed dissonance. It's easy to feed dissonance with aversion, with resistance, with judgment, with comparing. And the practice is about actually learning that we don't need to feed that dissonance that the actual healing between what is and our ideas of how they should be really begins in our willingness to turn towards. To turn towards with curiosity. Ah, agitation's happening. Dullness is happening. Weariness is there. Mind proliferation is there. Ah, this is where we practice. In the Dhammapada, in the early texts, there's these wonderful lines that all we are now is a result of all that we were. And that all that we will be tomorrow, and even in the next moment, will be the result of all that we are now. I think that I feel very heartened often by these lines. Because we, we see the truth of it in our own experience when we sit, when we walk, we see the winds of all of our past experiences, voices from the past, events from the past, thoughts about the past, you know, kind of moving through our minds and we really sense how the many, many conditions in our life that have come together to kind of shape who we believe ourselves to be in this moment kind of sense of of who we are. Many of those conditions, of course, were never in our control. But we also have that, I mean, the heartening part, I think, of that teaching is this, this possibility of turning points. That all that we will be tomorrow and the next moment, in a way, will be the result of all that we are now. It points to that possibility of really looking at what we're nurturing, what we're fostering, what we're feeding, what we're cultivating in this moment. We see how easy it is to kind of press the reset button on the past. You know, the thought, the difficult thought, the memory, the image from the past arises, the patterns that have been kind of formed through the past of, you know, resistance or doubt or fear, how easily they arise and how easy it is to kind of set the reset button by feeding them, by identifying, by clinging. And of course, what this practice, what this path really points towards is the possibility of walking new pathways, moment to moment. That perhaps instead of resistance, there can be a willingness to welcome. That perhaps instead of aversion or judgment, there can be kindness befriending that instead of feeding into doubt, self-doubt, there can be that real intentionality of setting our feet on our walking path and our, our setting, taking our seat in here and making that commitment actually to ourselves, to this moment, and to the sense of possibility in this moment. What we dwell upon becomes the shape of our mind, core teaching of the Buddha. What we dwell upon becomes the shape of our mind. The shape of our mind indeed flavors the very shape of our world. Hmm? So we are really looking, moment to moment, really where we are dwelling, where we are making our home. As John mentioned last night, the very word vahara, from the Brahma-Viharas that we'll be exploring over these days really speaks to that, about where, where is our dwelling place? Where are we making our home moment to moment? Do we make our home in that which frees, which liberates, which awakens? Or do we find ourselves basically through habit often, not through intention, making our home in patterns and reactions Self images that actually really are not helpful, that keep creating and recreating um, the sense of struggle, the sense of unsatisfactoriness in our own hearts and minds and in the moment. So it's a real, it's really being aware of how much in this practice that so we, we don't just sit on a cushion and close our eyes and, you know, wrap ourselves up and hope that all goes well we actually do set a a sense of intention and a sense of very experiential investigation and inquiry. It's not, again, introducing a whole new pattern of thinking, but that sense of, ah, I arrive. What is the quality of my mind? What kind of intention am I bringing to this moment? What is this sitting dedicated to? What is this sitting in the service of? So it's actually taking, you know, placing ourselves on a path rather than just feeling that conditions are going to determine how this sitting arises. We're actually going instead to be setting through intention a particular quality of relationship. To everything that appears and everything that arises within a sitting or within a walking. Ah, moments of agitation, moments of calm, Hmm? moments of doubt, moments of ease. Ah, I know this. I learn to be present within. I learn to turn towards, to stand near to. So, today in the practice, we'd like to suggest or encourage a very, really quite uncluttered, a really simple focusing. Um, in the Satipatthana, you know, the, the discourse begins by really placing one's breath at the mindfulness of breathing at the center of attention. There's a reason for that. Learning to unify body, mind, present moment learning to cultivate that sense of collectedness, of being where we are. Learning to actually allow the agitations, the thoughts, to begin to calm, simply because we are putting mindfulness of breathing really in the forefront of our attention, rather than all of the mental processes being in the forefront. It's so really bringing that kind of very simple focus, allowing the mind to unclutter, allowing the mind to begin to find the way to being with what is right now. It takes uh, quite some patience, it takes quite some perseverance, and it also requires an attitudinal commitment. Hmm? <clears throat> Meta, as we spoke about, is not just about repeating phrases. It is about where we are making our home attitudinally in relationship to all things. Knowing what is happening, knowing the moments of being lost, knowing we can come back to this very simple attending, breathing in the body, breathing out. A gentle touch, resting on the steady foundations of commitment, of intention. Many different states pass through our consciousness. Unsurprisingly, there may be some tiredness, some fatigue. Many don't even know how tired they are often from the very busyness of their life until they stop. Then you feel it. Now there's there's a kind of tiredness, you know, that is actually just really, really, you know, healed and restored simply through resting. And actually, if you look at what we're doing here, it's pretty restful. I mean, I don't know what your life is like, but my life, I don't have people running around putting the food on the table and, um, you know, doing my shopping for me and and you know, cleaning for me and all those things. What we're doing here is actually pretty restful. The tiredness will begin to ease. There's another kind of tiredness that doesn't really have anything to do with life fatigue, and it's much more in that very familiar realm of sloth and torpor, you know, the sinking mind. And all of the naps in the world actually don't restore that. It will just go on. So it's learning the best you can, you know, if there's tiredness here today, to, to find the ways of wakefulness. Very often paying attention to your posture is really important. You see, if there's a lot of tiredness, your neck will be the first thing that collapses as your chin seeks out your chest. Hmm? It'll be the first thing collapses, followed by your back. Hmm? So paying attention to your posture is actually really helpful, finding as much wakefulness in your posture as you can, even do it, you know, doing something even like this with your posture, something that takes just a slight little bit of effort to sustain can help enormously, you know. If there's wakefulness kind of embodied, the mind tends to respond to that. If there's weariness embodied, you know the collapsed posture, the mind will respond to that too, you know. So it's actually looking within the posture how much that can be an ally. Hmm? The other familiar visitor, certainly on the first day of a retreat, even the second, and sometimes even the third, um, is the whole restlessness and, and worry, you know, the the agitation of the body. Um, the hungriness of the eyes, the hungriness of the sense doors, the waterfall of thinking. And this, too, is, is not something that just arises on retreats, please. This is a very familiar visitor in our life. And here, you know, it is really helpful to, to learn to cultivate more stillness in the body. It is no surprise that the, bo- that the Buddha placed the body as the first foundation of mindfulness. It is such an ally in learning to actually meet, meet the mind, meet the waves of the mind and heart with kindness, with, with knowing this is our classroom. This is where we practice. With mindfulness of breathing, it's an ongoing process of returning. It's an ongoing process of returning. And that is really an ongoing process of letting go. We are always returning from somewhere. Hmm? We're returning from the thought patterns, the fantasies, the imaginings, the contractedness of of worry. We're always returning and we're always letting go. Hmm? We shouldn't begrudge that. We shouldn't begrudge that. We shouldn't feel, oh, I've lost it, I blew it. You know, oh again I'm lost, you know. No, we shouldn't begrudge this. This is a training for our lives, you know. The practice of returning. The practice of returning. To to find gladness within that. And knowing we're walking a different pathway. There's no right way to be mindful of breathing. Some people find it useful to have a very simple, focused one spot. You know, around the upper lip, the nostrils, some find it more useful to follow the entire breath from its beginning to its ending. It, you know, the, the actual mechanism of how we're mindful of breathing is so secondary to the intention and the attitude and the qualities that we're cultivating within that mechanism. It is not something in itself, you know, that I got 10 breaths in a row, aren't I fantastic? Or I got one breath and aren't I a failure? It's not the mechanism. It is the attitude, it is the intentionality that is being cultivated. Okay, so really just taking some moments as we begin the sitting to, to be mindful of how your posture is how your body is within your posture. Lengthening the spine. At the head is upright. And just sensing that quality of embodied alertness embodied uprightness. Just noticing the places where your body contacts the mat, the chair, the cushion. Mindful of the sensations in those places of contact. The pressure, the warmth, the hardness. Turning towards the body. And all the body experiences in this moment. just sowing the seed of the intention to be present within your body, breathing. If your breath is shallow, just knowing it as a shallow breath. If your breath is deeper, A simple knowing of that, sensing the responses within your body to each in-breath and to each out-breath. the rising, the falling, the expanding, the relaxing. Feeling the coolness of the air as it enters your body, your nostrils, your upper lip, feeling the warmth of the air as it leaves your body. Be mindful of where your attention is resting in this moment and the quality of your attention. the last few minutes of the sitting, sensing whether it would be helpful to either re-establish your posture, your body in alertness, or to reset your intention to be present, mindfully present within your breathing, within this moment as it is.
1: Okay, we have a walking period now, but before you go off and you do your walking, I just want to say a few words about this process. Firstly, it's no accident that if we look at the Satipatthana Sutta, if we look at this classical text, which is the origin of many of the practices that will be practiced in a center like this, we find that the largest section in the whole of the text is devoted to mindfulness of body, mindfulness and awareness of bodily processes, what's called kaya-anapasana. And I say it's no accident because in many ways the Buddha is the first, I would say, the first teacher really to concentrate on bodily processes. He teaches us that cognition, all of our cognitive, all of our intellectual processes are embodied processes. And again, I don't think this is accidental. This is a man who spent 45 years of his life walking um, over vast distances. And in many ways, this is quite countercultural to us, particularly as we come from a legacy of the 17th century, which has a skepticism about the body. And uh, we've only got to look at thinkers like Descartes, who has a real problem with his body, and this goes through, <laughs> through... French thought in general. We see it, um, I think, in what I call the Winston Churchill attitude to exercise, who once said, every time I find the need for violent physical exercise, I go into the next room, lie down, and wait for it to pass. (laughs) So we have this skepticism about the body in and I think this carries through, and often teaching retreats, I see you know people come to me with the attitude that actually the real work, the real stuff takes place sitting on the cushion. This is where the, the real discoveries are made, actually sitting here on a cushion. Um, coming back to the Satipatthana Sutta, um, this is not the Buddha's attitude. He said to be mindful, to be aware in all postures, whether sitting, standing, lying, or walking. So when we start to think about where we locate our mindfulness, we locate it in all the postural dimensions of our being, not just in one. We don't just elevate it into this sitting on a cushion, and in a way enhancing the mind, although, as we've heard Christina say, there's bodily awareness infused in this. And In fact, we could even say that to everything that's going on in the mind, there's a correlate somewhere in the body. To that thought of aversion, there's a tightness in the gut or something occurring in the shoulders. So the first thing I really want to say to you is that when we are engaged in the mindfulness of walking process, we're not engaged in something entirely different from what we're doing when we're sitting on the cushion. This is literally just a change of posture. That is all. We take the same attitudes, we take the same intentionality out into our walking to observe the body in motion, to see what is occurring, moment by moment, one step after the other. We talk about one breath after the other. This is literally one step after the other. So we begin to observe this body in motion. We begin to locate the source of our experience in this embodiment at this very moment. And just like the breath, when we focus in on the breath, we're not focusing in on a past breath or a future breath. You know? We're not focusing in when we're walking on a past body or a future body or a past step or a future step. We're focusing on what is happening now. The body, just like the breath, becomes the anchor to which we anchor our often very turbulent, chaotic experience. It's something that we remind ourselves of continuously by coming back to this embodied process that we are. And as many of you will know, we don't speak in this tradition, and certainly not in the early tradition, we don't speak of body with a copula, which is and mind. We speak of body-mind. This total integration of these processes as mental processes are embodied processes, and the body is telling us things continuously. And this is where we begin to locate our experience. All too often in... I think in our normal experience, we can exist somehow a bit like, I don't know, some of you might be familiar with a character in one of James Joyce's Dubliners called Mr. Duffy, who's described as living at some distance from his body. Yeah. Uh, This is the very opposite. When we engage in mindfulness of walking, this is the very opposite of Mr. Mr. Duffy and the kind of Winston Churchill school of exercise. It's actually coming back to what is occurring right here, right now, in that gentle walking process. Now, the walking process doesn't have to be ultra-slow. It doesn't have to be pared down to almost like the march to the scaffold. Um, It doesn't have to be like that. Um, We pare it down in a way so that we can begin to observe what is occurring at this moment. Now, for some of you, that might be slow. For some of you, that might be, you know, just slightly lower than normal walking pace. We can often tailor the walking as well to what is going on in the mind. If the mind is very, very distracted, um, then it's quite good to slow it down, to slow everything down. If the mind is sluggish and dull, then it's actually quite good to w- walk just below normal walking pace so that we're actually beginning to observe, again, this relationship between the mind and the body, you know, tailoring our walking, tailoring our observation and the ways that we observe to what is actually happening at this moment using this body as this locus and this anchor continuously. Coming back, when we drift off, just as with the breath, we come back. And we do it with gentleness, we do it with kindness. One of the ways I often suggest, if you're on your walking path, and many of you will have done lots of walking, having come to places like IMS, um, when you're on your walking path, if you find that the mind really, really drifts off, is to stop, stand, relocate, anchor your experience again, backing what is occurring right now. Then to begin your walking again once your mindfulness is re-established. That this is so important. I'll leave you this with this final thought: that uh, the Buddha says in in the Nikayas, in the Anguttara Nikaya in particular, that those who do not have mindfulness of the body in a sense, have no mindfulness at all. That is how important it is. So as I said right at the beginning, it's not accidental. This is the largest section in the Satipatthana Sutta. Okay, good walking.
0: Thank you for listening To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharmased, please visit dharmased dot org slash donate